Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. This morning, we're gonna sit in John 17. One of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is John chapter 17. This is the high priestly prayer. And remember in Hebrews, we studied that Jesus is the substance. Old Testament is the what? Shadow, right? It's all the shadow. Everything you see in the Old Testament is the shadow. It's like, you know, if you are in the desert and you see a shadow, you automatically assume what? Somebody, something's there, right? Something's casting the shot. If there's no, there's no substance, you guys freak out, okay? You're dehydrated, all right? But if there's a shadow, something's casting the shadow. And so what the author of Hebrews has been trying to teach us is that the whole entire Old Testament is the shadow, and Jesus cast that shadow. He's the substance that casts the shadow. And one of the major aspects of the shadow, one of the major aspects that we learned was this high priest, That Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you're new here and you haven't been with us through the book of Hebrews, then this is going to be new to you. But some of us who have been here, this isn't that new. This is going to be kind of a recap. But I think it's so important for us to get that Jesus is our great high priest. And that is what the gospel of John chapter 17 we're going to see is called the high priestly prayer. And the reason why it's the high priestly prayer is because it's going to show us Jesus's heart as our high priest, his role, how he fulfills all the role of high priesthood. In fact, you could go, don't turn there now, but if you're on private time, read Exodus 39. Okay, read Exodus 39, Exodus 40, read the last parts of Exodus, and you're going to see all the priestly duties, all that God wanted to be accomplished, and we're going to see in John 17 how Jesus fulfills all of that. He fulfills all of that. But real quick, where are we in Gospel of John? Where are we here? Okay, let's look at the context. Jesus takes his disciples, he goes into the upper room. And, and he, he goes in the upper room and they have the meal of Passover. They celebrate the meal of Passover. Now, what's, this is one of those, another, uh, you know, shadow things. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but this is a shadow thing. Remember Exodus and Exodus, God tells Egypt, tells Israel, he says, look, I want you to take, cause right, this is when they're, they're enslaved, they're enslaved in Egypt, take the lamb and I want you to have this meal, sacrifice, don't break a bone on the body of that lamb, take the blood, Put it over your doorpost, get some bread, unleavened bread. Don't put any leaven in it. And we're going to have this whole meal that's going to celebrate. Now, what are you going to do from this point on? You're going to celebrate this meal called the Passover because it's going to, whoever had the blood of the lamb is going to, the, the angel of death will pass over them. Death will not, death will, will evade the house. Death will pass over the house. You will not have death in the house because of the blood of the lamb, okay? And so that's the Passover. Every year for thousands of years, the Jewish people, celebrated this to remember when God led them out of Egypt, God rescued them from slavery. And then Jesus comes on the scene right here in John and he says, look, I know we've been celebrating this as good Jewish people for thousands of years. We've all done this, but this was to point to me. Jesus says, I fulfill this now. He says, I'm the blood. I am the lamb. And if you take the blood of the lamb, drink this, remember me, it's the blood of the new covenant, remember me, I am the blood, I will cover you and death will have no more sting. It will evade you. Death will not have power or authority over you. you will, the, the sting of sin and death, the slavery of sin and death will no longer be, your, be yours. You'll be freed. So Jesus tells the disciples this, and then he says, some of y'all, one of y'all, one of y'all fools is going to betray me. And, and everybody's like, who, me, me, not me, not me. And then Judas, he's like, whoever dips the, the, the bread in the cup at the same time as me, Judas is, you know, I feel like, I feel like Judas would have known, um, you know, like I'm not dipping uh, at all, all night, but he, he did. And, and so Jesus, 
He tells you, so Judas, Jesus says, go and do what you got to do. Jesus, Judas leaves, goes to betray Jesus. Jesus takes the disciples and they make their way, they go to their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus continues to teach the disciples. And he says, look, we're on our way. He said, but, you know, they're passing by the temple. They're passing by this. They're, they're looking at all these things, the shadows of the Old Testament, the substance. He says, look, I am the vine. You guys are the branches. And this is exactly what we've been talking about these past couple of weeks is, look, we can do nothing apart from Jesus. You can't love. Like, we, we had each other last week. If you missed it, last week I had everybody look around at each other and realize you can't love without Jesus, because the people that you're supposed to love are us, okay? Like, you, we can't do it. We can't do it in, with our own strength. You can't love without Jesus. You can't obey God without Jesus. You can't do anything without being connected to the source, to the vine. And, and he's like, you know, and the truth is, look, we, if you ever picked a rose, like I was telling this to the guys, have you ever, like, picked a rose from a, 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 a rose bush? The, the cool thing is, is that rose stays pretty for, like, a day. You know, you pay 50 bucks, you know, at the, to give your wife, and like a day later, they're dead. But it stays pretty for a season, right? But then like overnight, they wilt, they're dead, they're done, okay? And you throw them away. You see, that's the thing. It's like you can disconnect from yourself from the source, from the vine. Like you can, you can spend a season and not be in the word, not be in prayer, and come and do the Christian thing and try to live off your own strength for a season and look good, look like the rose, look like the Christian, but eventually you're going to get burned out, you're going to die, you're going to wither because you have no sustenance. You're, nothing's feeding you. Nothing, you're not connected to the vine. And Jesus says, you cannot do it without me. He tells us the disciples, and then he says, but here's the thing. I'm going to go. He's like, I got to leave, right? And the disciples are kind of freaking out here. They're starting to get it. Like it's been a, since the whole Jesus' ministry, I'm leaving, I'm dying. And like, I don't understand. Can I be the first, you know? And, but now they're starting to get it. And Jesus says, but don't worry, I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the helper, the other. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be better because now you can actually have intimacy with me. There's a deep intimacy that you didn't have before. Like before, I sent you off two by twos to go do ministry. And I had to stay back in, you know, in this village. And you could go and do your own thing. But now I'm going to go with you in spirit. You're going to be my, my temple. And, and I'm going to be, my spirit will live in you. There's going to be an intimacy with, with me that you've never had before. It is better that I go. And he says, continue in me, continue in me, because you're going to have trials, you have tribulations. And he says, but be of good cheer. I tell you these things, be of good cheer. You have tribulations in this world, but listen, I have what? Overcome the world. That's the last thing he says just before he starts praying for his disciples. In, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've spoken to you these things because I want you to know the world's going to have, you're going to have tribulations, but I have overcome this world. I want you guys to imagine this. Imagine you're one of the disciples. It's getting dark. It's nighttime. You're walking in the dark, and Jesus is like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Like, what is it? What is it? What's he talking about? I'm going to die. And you're kind of freaking out. And Jesus is trying to teach all of these things. And so Jesus sits down in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he starts to pray for his disciples. And this is John 17. This is what he prays for. And I love what John Knox says about John 17. John Knox, the 15th century theologian, the Scottish theologian, he says that when you read John 17, you are entering into holy ground. He says, because when you read John 17, you are literally reading the Godhead talking to the Godhead. Like you're entering into that union, that relationship, that conversation between God the Son and God the Father, and you're seeing this conversation. He says, man, you are entering into holy ground. And so what we see, this, this prayer that we're about to read is called the high priestly prayer. Now, why is it called the high priestly prayer? We're going back to Exodus 30. If you remember when, when God tells Moses, God tells Moses to come down from, Exodus, from the mountain, right? He says, I'm coming down the mountain. And he, he gives all of these instructions, all these things to do. You got to build, you know, the tabernacle with this material, with this. There's all of these details, right? Finite details. You know, the, the, the high priest got to look like this, got to wear this, got to dress like this, got to be made out of this fabric, got to have this color. It's got to do all of these different things, all these major details. And if, you've, if you're just reading this for the first time, you're like, what is going on here? Like I just finished in my own private study time, I just finished Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, it was TD. I'm not gonna, I don't normally do that. Somebody's like, wow, that's a pastor. He studies Leviticus. I don't normally, 
I'm trying to go through the Bible in a year for myself, for my own personal gain. So I just read through the Exodus, Leviticus, number. Uh, but, and, I, and even I was like, man, this is a lot of stuff here. What is all this about? Like, even though I know it's to, it's all pointing to Jesus, and even though I've studied a lot of it, and I know kind of what I'm talking about. I still, I mean, God, there's just a lot of tedious. Okay, the 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 it needs to be made out of gopher wood or acacia wood, and it needs to be this this cubit feet by this cubit feet, and it needs to be facing the east, and it needs to be looking like this, and and all these details. And and what we see is the same as with our high priest. All of these garments, all of these things, and what we're going to see in John 17 is how Exodus. 39 versus John 17, how Jesus starts to fulfill these things. The first aspect that we're going to see in John, Exodus 39 is the role of the high priest. His job was to make sure that he makes God's name holy. He sets God's name apart, that he glorifies God's name, that he is our go-between. He stands between us and God. If you're new and you don't know what the high priest is, look, the Bible is very clear. God is holy. The Bible is also very clear, you are not, okay? That's, you know, here's the juxtaposition, here's the, here's the whole problem in Scripture. You want to summarize the Bible in three phrases? God is holy, you are not, God loves you. That's the whole, but that's the problem, God's holy, you're not, God loves you. That's an issue. That's an issue because God says, I'm set apart. I'm holy. Remember, he tells Moses to go up on the mountain. He says, if a squirrel comes and pees on this mountain, stone him. Like, right? Like, he doesn't say that. But basically, um, and so he says, this is a holy mountain, a holy ground. Don't come near me. Nobody comes close to God. Yahweh, I am holy. I'm set apart. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is love, love, love. It doesn't say God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is grace, grace, grace. God is wrath, wrath, wrath. Nowhere. What it does say is God is holy, holy, holy. Right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Right? That is what the Bible does say. He is holy. And so the high priest, God says, I want these unholy little wretched people. I love them, but they can't come near me. So I need a go-between. I need somebody to stand between me and them. I need, a, I'm going to set up this priestly line. So they're going to stand between, they're going to take the sacrifice. They're going to take the lamb. They're going to take the offering and they're going to go bef- between me. And they're going to be the ones who stand in the middle. I need, I need a go-between. And that's why God sets up the priesthood. And so now, in order for Jesus, Jesus is going to be our great high priest. He fulfills this role as high priest. And so Jesus is going to be concerned with God's holiness. God's holiness. Let's, let's, um, let's read what it says here. Okay, let's read John chapter 17. Let's just jump in. John chapter 17, verse 1. Okay, Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke these words, uh, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What you're going to notice here is the word glorify. It's going to be over and over again. As Jesus is our high priest, that's his major role. Like it's about God's timing, God's will, God's glory, God's, God's name, right? It's all about God as the high priest. That's his first and foremost priority. Verse 1, glorify your son as I glorify you, O God. Verse 4, I have glorified you. Verse 5, glorify me. Verse, uh, I think it goes on in verse 6. But it's talking about this, oh, glorify, glorify, glorify. The great high priest's function is to glorify God. He did things that pleased God. He did things in the will of God. He did things for the glory of God. That was the high priest's role. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I have done this for your glory. I have glorified you. And he also says, now glorify me fully. Okay, so once I'm glorified as your son, as the word become flesh, he says, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Lift me up so I can lift you up. This is an amazing truth, guys. Don't miss this. Because Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, he's saying, look, at the end of this chapter, he says, I've declared your name to my people. I've glorified your name. It's all about the glory. I've glorified you, so you glorify me. And what does the Bible say? Uh, Isaiah says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
says he made his soul an offering for sin. God says, I will glorify you, but I'm going to glorify you through the cross. I will get the glory, but it's going to go through the cross. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him, referring to the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach. Um, but listen, this Jesus doesn't offer, does, God doesn't, the Father doesn't look at the Son and say, I'm going to give you everything that Satan offers. Remember Satan in the garden or in the desert? Satan offers him the riches now. He offers him the treasures now. Satan's like, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to glorify you as king over this world. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms, all the riches, all the treasures. That's not what the Father says. He says, I'm going to glorify you, but it's going to be through the cross. He says, I'm going to glorify you through the cross. Now listen to me, listen to me. There must be suffering before there is joy. There must be sorrow before there is glory. There must be pain before there is peace. There must be the cross before there's the glory. And that's what God promises Jesus. He says, you have to go through the cross for the glory. Now listen, so often we say, I want my life to glorify God. How many of us have said that? I want to live a life for God's glory. I want to be used for his kingdom. I want God to use me. I want to see his, his, his glory being displayed through my life. We say that. We pray that. But listen, listen, listen. You will not ever bring God glory as long as you live. And what I'm not talking about is your flesh. I'm not talking about you physically die. I'm talking about you are still alive in spirit. The Bible doesn't say live. He says die. The Bible says, you want to glorify me, you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and die to yourself. Lay it down, your will, your pride, your desires. You see, here, hear this, tangent, okay, tangent. We have missed the gospel. If you came to faith, I'm not saying you're not saved, but if this is, this is a false gospel, listen, this is false. If you had somebody say one day to you, pray this prayer, Invite Jesus into your heart, and you are saved. That is a false gospel. That is not the gospel. That is not even in the Bible. This idea of inviting Jesus into your heart, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I receive you into my life. Jesus, take the wheel. Like that. That's all false. I'm sorry to ruin that song. That is not the gospel. And so many Christians are operating under that version of the gospel. That's the American gospel. The Christian gospel, the biblical gospel is I die to myself. Jesus, don't take my wheel. Jesus, don't come into my life. Jesus, don't come into my heart. I don't invite you. I don't receive you. I say I die. It is not me. It is no longer I who live. But Jesus, you now live through me. This flesh that I now live, I live for the glory of Jesus. I live unto Jesus. I live. It's all about him. It's him. I'm dead. David tried it his way. David's will, David's desires, David's flesh, David's lust. All of that dies at the cross with Jesus. And now Jesus lives through me for his glory. That's the gospel. I don't invite Jesus into anything. Dead man don't invite anything. Right? Y'all with me? Look, if you have a dead person inviting somebody and talking to you, all right, it's a zombie, kill him, okay? Um, it's already dead. Anyways, <laughs> that's stupid. Um, so that's the gospel. The glorify God, you have to die to yourself. And if you want a life of glory, glorifying God, you and your will and your desires die. It is all about Jesus and him living through you. And so now you get to this high priest. And so Jesus' goal is to glorify God. But the second thing we see is that Jesus is all about um, the people, right? And what we see in Exodus 39 is that the high priest wore these garbs. It's called the, the ephod, right? Uh, God, these garbs that had different colors on them. You see um, the different colors of red, um, blue, purple, and gold, right? They all represented something, but the garb had these three different colors. And this is from Moses. Moses comes down and says, hey, Aaron, you're going to be the high priest. And Moses, Aaron's like, okay, you know, and, and your sons, there's no choice. You don't have no option. You're going to be high priest, but you've got to wear this ephod. And the ephod is going to be made out of different linens, different types of materials, but it's going to be gold. It's going to be blue and it's going to be purple and it's going to be red. Now, every one of these colors represents something. And once again, this is not, Jesus comes and fulfills these things after math. And he says, you know what? 
this is what it was supposed to be, so I got to try to match that. No, God knew the word become flesh. God knew Jesus was coming. God knew who Jesus was because Jesus was always existence. So God set this into place to represent the coming Jesus, to portray who Jesus was. Each one of these colors portrays what Jesus accomplishes. It says that the materials had to be gold, blue, purple, and red. Gold represents deity. It's the deity. All throughout scripture, we see gold representing deity. The ephod had to be gold. The high priest must wear gold representing deity. Then the gold, the ephod had to have blue. The blue represented uh, heavenly. It's the heavenly places. I'm looking out into the sky. The sky is the heavenlies. Throughout the scriptures, we see blue as a color of heaven. Okay, how does this reflect on Jesus? We'll see that. Okay, then we get to purple. Purple represents uh, royalty and majesty. Remember when Jesus was being crucified, they clothed him in what color garment? Purple. You're the king of the Jews, right? They put a crown of thorn on him. They dressed him in purple. You're the king, right? Represents majesty, represents uh, royalty. And then blood, red, represents blood and, and sacrifice and slaughter. So what do we see in these colors? You have deity, you have heaven, you have glory and majesty and and, and royalty, and you have death. That's what the high priest had to wear. What do we see in Jesus? That God, the God from heaven came down, majesty on high, royalty, and bled and died for us. Our high priest. It all represents exactly what Jesus came to do. God in heaven, it says that God was in the beginning. He was the word, right? The word was with God. The word was God. From all of eternity, the God of heaven came to this earth in all majesty, in all royalty. He humbled himself and he died for us. The ephod tells the story of Jesus, but then he goes on and he says there's this breastplate around the high priest, right? It was this, goes around your neck and it was this big old heavy breastplate and had the 12 different stones, the, the rubies and the, the sapphires and the, uh, the onyx and all the different colors and all 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The high priest wore this around his neck everywhere, covering his heart. And it represented that the high priest's job was not only for the glory of God, but also as the go-between for God and for man, that he stood between God and man. So he held his people close to his heart. What does this say? And this is eternal life, that they may know you, and only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with your with yourself that uh, with with which or with the glory which I had from the beginning before the world was made. Now once again, this is just Jesus saying, Look, I was there from the beginning. This is, once again, Jesus saying, I was the word in flesh. Now, I'm the word become flesh. I was there from the beginning. Now, glorify me once again. Once again, the God of heaven, God of heaven for all of eternity came down. But then he goes on. This is what he says. I have manifested, sorry, I have manifested your name to the the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are, are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I've come to you, O Father, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. (laughs) That's a a powerful truth. I'll get back to that. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and your word has hated them, 
uh, and your and the, uh, your world, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is now praying for his people. Remember, the high priest's role is the glory of God and the people, the good of the people. That's the high priest's role. Now we see the heart of God. Jesus is talking about his people. He's saying, look, I finished the work. I'm going to die for them. I've manifested your name. I give unto give them unto my words. I pray for them. I do this for my disciples. I keep them. I've given them. i declared them. I've kept them. All this is about them, them, them. My people, my people. The high priest is standing between us and the Father, and Jesus has done this. This is why any, any religion that says that you have to do something, I don't care if they put a Christian title to it. I don't care if it's, if it's Catholicism, it's, if it's Jehovah's Witnesses, if it's Mormons. If they add to the gospel that you have to do something to be faithful, Jesus says, I came to do it. I've done it. It's through me. I've kept them. I held them. I pray for them. I hold them. I keep them. You don't need nobody else to get to heaven. You don't need nothing else to be restored, to be redeemed. It's all garbage apart from Jesus. Jesus, I finished it. Because this should move us that the, our great high priest has done this for us. Look, if the cross and the accomplished work of Jesus does not move us because we are dead, we need to wake up because Jesus, this, this can't be common to us. Look, aren't you, don't you ever praise God that you're on this side of the cross? Because look, every one of us, if you were on the other side of the cross, every one of you would be farmers. I don't care what you do. I don't care how, how awesome you are. I don't care how advanced technology has gotten. Like chance, he develops websites. He would be a website developer and a farmer. Like he'd be out there working his, his, his lambs and his goats and his cows and his cattle. He would smell like poo working on your website. That's every one of us. Because every one of us would need a sacrifice every single day. Every one time we mess up, we'd all need our offering and sacrifice. Praise God, we're on this side of the cross that Jesus Christ, we could go straight to him. He has died for us. He has come to us. He prays for us. He stands in between us and God. He's our go-between. He's our high priest. Now, I hope that doesn't become common to us. What does it say? He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. Now, that's a beautiful thing, guys. Listen. Jesus doesn't, have you ever wondered, like, after salvation, why doesn't God just beam us up? Like, just, come on, like, he, he does it with Enoch. Like, just, why can't I be like Enoch? Is every, every Christian become Enoch. Once you're saved, he, dink, you know, I, I want you up here. That'd be awesome. Like, there would be nobody to baptize anybody, but, you know, you know, we can have a designated baptizer, okay? Like, you stay, all right? But the rest of us, Jesus, but that's what Jesus says. He says, I don't pray that you take him out. I don't pray that you take them out, you beam them out. I, don't, I pray that you stay, you keep them there, but keep them away from the evil. Sanctify them, keep them pure in the world and not of the world. Let them be in the world. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. Now listen, 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 listen. This is what we talked about last week. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna pass this over. This is too good. This is too pure. Look, Last week, we discussed that it is all about the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God work in the, working through the Word of God, changing the child of God. You know, this, the Bible is constantly drawing us. David says, it's thy word that I place on your heart so I may not sin against you. Psalms 1 says, it's the word. I meditate. The one who meditates on the Word of God day and night is like a tree planted next to the stream of living water. He's pulling from the nutrients. He, he's not swayed like chaff. He says, the, the one who doesn't is not so. He's like chaff who, who goes wherever the wind blows. Blows. Romans 13 or, or, or 10 or 13, was it? Paul says, the, he says, renew your mind. Do not be conformed to the world, but be renewed by, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the word of God. So you may know the perfect will of God. It is all about the word. He said, some of us in this room are going through it. Listen, some of us in this room have, have brokenness, have baggage. We all have kind of somewhat brokenness, but some of us are struggling with temptations of sin. Some of us are struggling with lust. Some of us are struggling with depression. Some of us are struggling with anxieties. Some of us have been caught up in all kinds of junk. Some of us are right now going through pain and fear and heartache and hurt. Your family, your marriage is destroyed. Your marriage is broken. Your life is messed up. It's all screwed up. And, you, you, I, and, and look, I have had so many people come to me and say, David, I need to 
to talk with you because, uh, because of what I'm going through. My life is like this. My sin is like this. I can't get out of this. And they come to me wanting advice. And look, I love you. And I will always meet with you if you want to meet up. But for those of you who have met up with me, you know this to be truth. I will let you know that the only hope for you is to get in the word and in prayer and lean into Jesus. Connect to the vine. And I will tell you every time, get in the word. Get in the word. Get in the word. And it never felt, this has happened to me so many times, I can't think of that. As a pastor, there are a few things that, that you know, there are a lot of things that repeat themselves and seeing habits and things in people, but this is the greatest. Out of all habits, what happens is months go by, your life is still rocky, it's still shaky, things are still happening, still stuck in your sin, still stuck in your addictions, still broken, still hurt, marriage still crumbling, things are happening, your life, you have no hope, you have no peace, you have no joy, you're just crumbling, you come back and say, David, I need to talk to you again, things are still messed up, and I will ask you, Dave, are you in the word? Yes, I tried that, I tried to read the word, I tried to read the Bible, and it just didn't work, well, give me something else, I need, I need something that's maybe just not going to help me, it's not going to work for me, and listen, it never fails and it drives me nuts because I've been there. I've done this. What that means when somebody says, I've tried it, I've done it, it means one of two things. At best, it means you did try it. You took the word of God and you read it. Maybe I told you, because usually I'll tell you, start in Matthew or start in Luke. Start somewhere with the gospel, see what Jesus has done, and then move to the epistles. Don't start in the epistles. Start with Jesus. Start in the gospels, okay? But you'll, you'll start, you'll read maybe five, 10 minutes a day for a couple days, but then the rest of your life, and you'll, and you'll pray maybe five, 10 minutes a day for the couple of days, and the rest of your time, you're watching four to five hours of TV, four to five hours of social media. The rest of five or four hours of your life is still stuck in the world, being renewed by the world, being conformed by the world, being influenced by the world, and you're spending five to 10 minutes in the word, and see, you come to me after about four or five days, it doesn't work, so you kind of lay aside the world, and you start word, and you start looking for other opportunities, means, 10 steps to get rich, 10 steps to be have a happier wife, or happier husband, happier marriage, 10 steps to break this habit. You start looking other places because the word of God didn't do it for you. So at best, you tried. And then after a couple of days, it wasn't working. At the worst, which is most often, and every time I pry, this is the case. David, I tried, which is a flat-out lie. And maybe you did try. Maybe in your mind you did try because you read the Bible of the day, the verse of the day. And you got that one verse that the version app sent you or some, some you know, Kanye West app sent you, you know, the Bible of the verse. I follow Kanye. He gives me the Bible of verse whatever, maybe you read the one verse and you thought, this is going to save my life. This is going to change. Now, I'm not saying any Bible, any Bible you can re retain is great, but listen to me. You try and you, but you don't really believe that the word of God is going to help you, is going to transform you. So you don't really lean into Jesus. You say, I'll give this another shot. It's another pill I'll take. It's another something I'll take. I'm going to do other things while I'm reading the Bible. Maybe it's nothing, you know, maybe it couldn't hurt. And so I'm going to read the Bible, read the Bible, maybe a little bit, verse of the day, verse of the day. Really, ultimately, every time I pry into this, it's never, it's always, I really am lying to you. I didn't, I didn't dive in. I didn't jump in the word. I'm not reading the word. Listen, here's a common rule. Here's a common rule. Write this down. Put this on your doorpost. Put this on your hand. You should be in the Bible twice as much as you are in the world. Which means if you are watching two hours of TV a day, you should be in the Bible four hours. If you're on social media three hours a day, you should be in the Bible six hours. And some of you are like, that's a lot of time. Here's a hint. Just cut the hours on social media. <laughs> cut the hours on TV. Make it, make it 30 minutes of hours on, t on, on TV, and then you get the hour in the Bible. You know? And so, but it's never fails. I don't, I'm not a reader. I've heard this. David, I don't know. I can't do it. I'm not a reader. The Bible is boring. I can't read it. I don't understand it. Anybody who's ever said the Bible is boring has never read the Bible. 
The Bible has murder in it. It has war in it. It has love in it. Some dude gets swallowed by a whale and pooped out. You know, uh, the donkey talks to a dude. A guy's walk on water. You know, God floods the entire world. Some dude gets taken up to heaven in a chariot, okay? That's, that's, that's what happens in the word of God. And it has the keys to everlasting life, eternal life. It's all in there. So if you say, this Bible doesn't apply to me, it doesn't relate to me, it's boring to me. Look, you've never tried it. You've never read it. The whale doesn't actually poop him out. He probably spits him out, but just imagery. He probably doesn't go through the... <laughs> Some of you are like, that's what it says? Listen. And so you, we, and this never fails. You come to me and you say, David, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. But, and you, but I want you to fix this. I want you to do something. We're looking for the quick fix. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm this. I'm sin. I'm this. My marriage is falling apart. I want something to fix me. And I will tell you in love. Look, I will charge you. I'll, I'll take a hundred bucks an hour if you want to pay me to listen to your wine. That's fine. But I'm still going to tell you the same thing. Get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. Get in the word. Get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. Let the word of God bathe over you through the spirit of God. Let the spirit of God take the word of God and transform you, renew you, change your mind, get your mind thinking of the things of God. Let the word of God, because the Bible says his word will not come back null and void. His word will pierce your heart. It will judge your heart. It will transform your heart. It'll mold your heart. Let the word of God bathe over you. If you're not in the word, get in the word. Jesus prays. Jesus prays. He says, let the word of God. What does he say? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And he says, as you sent me into this world, I have also sent them into this world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus says, I came and I lived perfectly. I sanctified myself. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray for these alone also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Listen, listen, Jesus, Jesus is talking to you right now. He's praying for you. Literally, Jesus is literally praying for you right now. You see this? I do not pray for just them. My disciples, my James, John, Peter, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for those who come to faith through their, their preaching. I, come to, I pray for those like Clement and Polycarp who came through John and, and Peter. And then I pray for those who came after Polycarp and Clement. And then I pray for Augustine and I pray for Martin Luther. I pray for John Wesley and John Calvin and all those people through the preaching of the word of God, the, the, the history of the word of God. As the word of God has gone through history, has gone through the world, I pray for all those who come to believe. Jesus is praying for me and for you. And he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This is the one, I quote this verse all the time. Let them be one. The goal here is that the world knows that Jesus was sent by the Father. He says this, and the glory which you gave me, I give them, that they may be one as we are one. Let's just keep reading because, wait, no, 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 okay. Um, Listen, the Bible says, Jesus prays right here for you, for me, for us. He says, let them be one so that the world will know. Let them world, let them be one. See, see, the oneness of the body. Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, um, Let me just keep reading because this is, this is good. In them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now listen to this. That's the good stuff. Okay, I'm going to go there. I'm sorry. I just get excited. The world is going to know that we, that God loves them by the way that the church loves each other. I mean, listen to me again. The world's going to know that God loves them by the way that the world loves each other. Jesus prays, just as I am in you, O Father, we're one. We love, just as Jesus loves the Father, he says, let us love each other. 
Just as means, you know, for those of you guys slow, just as means exactly the same way. As I, as the Father loves the Son. Now let me, when's the last time you walked into the church and you saw the love that the church had for one another and thought that must be the way Jesus loves the Father? That must be the way that the Father and the Son are one. What I see in the church. You see, this is why, this is so important for us as Christians, guys, because we come, in, especially in this individual, you see, in the shame-honor culture, it's not so much. You go in the Middle East, shame-honor culture, for some of us who have been in the Middle East or been in a place where shame-honor, it's like, you know, if my actions, it's not about me. My actions reflect my people. So if I mess up, it's on my father, it's on my mother, it's on my family. It's the shame, honor, it's oneness. We are body, we are family. My actions, my life reflects them. Now I say that because in this culture that we live in, it's like we come in here and you mess with me, you hurt my feelings. Like, no, no, he hurt my feelings. I'm going to leave the church. I'm going somewhere else. I don't like this. I don't like the way they do this. I don't like the mask. I don't like the non-mask. I want this. I want that. I want it all about me. I want it all about this. Please be, and it's all about us. And we come, somebody makes you, hurts your feelings, and you get upset, or you cause division, you cause damage. Somebody's not doing something for you. Listen to me. The goal, the dream, the purpose is so much bigger than whether or not you're comfortable or happy or safe or secure. The goal of the church, the only purpose of the church in this world, the only purpose of the church is to put on display the love that the Father has for this world. It's not about you which means that you can die miserable as long as you are one with the body. It doesn't matter. We've accomplished our purpose. Somebody could, you could be a doormat. It doesn't matter. Humble yourself, lower yourself. Just say, you know what? My goal is make sure that God sees the love and the unity of the church, that they say, wow, that must be the love that Jesus has for the, the, the Father, that we are one as Jesus is with the Father. Which means that if somebody offends you, forgive Somebody hurts your feelings. Guys, we've got to get over this. If we're not doing things exactly the way that you like them to do, then come to us and let's fix it together. But it's not about you. If it's biblical. Now, if it's just your preference, look, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to put it in our complaint department, which I've said before is through that door right there. If it's, yeah, right there. It makes a great sound when you flush. If it's a preference... But if it's biblical, we're not doing something biblical, we'll, we'll work it together. But listen, we have a bigger goal than making you happy and making you comfortable and making you safe. Our goal is not, my goal, my goal as a pastor is not to make you safe. My goal is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And as a body, we do that together. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that, that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that, they, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Once again, the love, the love, the love, the love. Listen. Um, Jesus is our high priest. He's saying to the Father, he said, look, you can forgive them because of me. You can't sanctify them because of me. You can't go to them. You could actually commune and fellowship with your people now because of me. I'm their high priest. I'm their go-between. I, my actions, my, sanct my sacrifice, now you can go to these people. That's what Jesus is praying to the Father. He's like, man, it's done. But see, you know, we've, we talked about this in the book of Hebrews. You know the other role of the high priest, the major role of the high priest? See, other priests, the rest of the priests, you bring sacrifices daily or weekly and they make a sacrifice for the individual or for the family. But the high priest, he made the sacrifice once a year, day of atonement for the entire congregation. That's what the high priest did. And so Jesus now, he comes on the scene as the high priest. And remember what he says on the cross. Do you remember what Jesus says on the cross? He says, Tetelestai. 
which means it's finished. Some of y'all got it. You just didn't know the Greek, okay? Um, <laughs> I was expecting the Greek, okay? Hebrew. To tell us thy. Jesus says it's, it's finished. It's paid. It's done. It's accomplished that he offered himself once and for all. This is why any, anything that says that you need to do something, you need to work, that you need to accomplish, any teaching that says that you can be saved by the blood of Christ and then fall out of the blood of Christ and then be saved by the blood of Christ and fall out of the blood of Christ and be saved by the, that is not the gospel. Jesus says, I've offered myself once and for all for all of the world, which means that when somebody, when somebody comes to faith, a new believer comes to faith, Jesus doesn't have to get off his throne and re-kill himself, re-sacrifice himself. That sacrifice was for every person who would ever be saved from Jesus's time to when he, Jesus returns, that it is accomplished, it's done. You see, this is why when somebody talks to me about Jesus, their life being broken and messed up and all screwed up, and, and I will say with confidence, Jesus can transform you. Jesus can change you. Jesus can engage your life. Why? Why? Why do I have such boldness and confidence? Because Jesus has already done it. See, it's not I think that Jesus might be able to do that for you. No, Jesus did it. Are you receiving what he accomplished? Are you accepting what he accomplished to Telestai? Are you re receiving the work of Christ on the cross? It's not a gamble whether Jesus can do it or will do it. He's done it. It's a, are you receiving it? It's like this. Okay, real quick. I have a dartboard. Harrison, hold the dartboard. Okay, step back there. Okay, very simple illustration. How many of y'all think I could hit the bullseye one throw? Nobody? It's my dartboard. I practice a lot. Okay, take a step back, Harrison. How many of y'all believe now I can hit the dartboard at the bullseye one throw? I've got to take her. I've got to take her. Five bucks. Five bucks says I can hit. Let's make this a... Take a step farther back, Harrison. How many now? How many of y'all believe? I still, people still believe. I think y'all just want to see me throw a dart at Harrison. And those around. So no, nobody really believes. I don't even believe I can hit the dart, hit the bullseye with one throw. But let me, let me see. Come here, Harrison. All right, now go back there. How many y'all? How many y'all believe I could hit the bullseye with that dart? It's not a true question. How many y'all believe I could do it? <laughs> keep going back. Keep going back, Harrison. How many y'all believe now? Uh, Harrison, keep going. Now shake it, move it around, move it around. Go out the door, Harrison. Leave. Get out the do get out the house. How many y'all believe I could do it now? <laughs> it is a, such a simple illustration. How many of y'all believe I can? It wasn't a trick question. It's done. There's no gamble. It's finished. I, I hit the dart, okay? And see, some of y'all, some of us in our lives, we, we, we're, we're freaking out. It's like my, my marriage is broken. There's no way. God, 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 you can't do this. It's too much. It's too much for my life. I've been stuck in addiction for years and years and years. I can't. There's no way God can do that. After what I've done, the person I am, the brokenness, the junk that I've gone through, the things that I have done against God Almighty, all this garbage, all this, there's no way Christ can do it. Listen to me. I don't care how long you've been in depression, how long you've been in anxiety, how long you've been in addiction how long you've been in lust and pornography, how long you've been in brokenness, how long your marriage has been split apart. I don't care what it is. Look, listen to me. It's not about whether or not Jesus can do it. He has done it. Are you going to receive it? Are you going to receive the work of the cross because it's accomplished, it's done, it's the victory's won? You see, look at your life. Are you choosing to hold on to slavery rather than the victory of the cross? Because if you look at your life and you don't see joy, you don't see peace, you don't see joy, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see anxiety, depression, fear, brokenness in your own life and all kinds of things. Look, listen to me. And I say this with all love. 
You are choosing this. And I know that's going to anger some people. Like, I would never choose my anxiety or my depression. I would never choose this. I would never choose this. Look, I'm not saying that you stood one day and said, I want this. I want this. But I am saying you are choosing this by not choosing to claim the victory of the cross. You see, it's like, it's like the Egyptians who are in slavery. Why would I want slavery? Why would I want sin? Why would I want this? Because there's comfort in slavery. Because slavery is home. Slavery is where I don't have to take out, I don't take some steps of faith. I, I, I am who I am in slavery. That's all I know. The Egyptians who left Egypt but constantly said, I should have stayed in Egypt because that's what I know. I can at least die where I'm familiar Like I, I do not say this once again to judge or to condemn. I say this so that you have victory and that you can walk in peace. But if you look at your life and you're not seeing the victory of the cross, it's not because Jesus hasn't done something for you or Jesus is lacking in something. It's because you have chosen to hold on to your brokenness, your slavery, your addiction, your anxiety, because it is comfortable there. I don't know what's on the other side of my anxiety. And so I'd rather have the excuse and something in my back pocket than walk in the complete victory of the cross where I have to be dependent on faith to faith to faith. I'd rather walk in this slavery than walk in the empowering grace of Jesus Christ. Look at me. I pray for freedom in this house and victory in this house. And I don't pray that it becomes that or something happens. That I pray that we receive it because, like, once again, to tell us die. Memorize that verse. Memorize that word. To tell us die. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. If you aren't experiencing it, it's not because it's not finished. Look, we have a great high priest. And Ben can come up now. We have a great high priest who wants you to walk in freedom and power and authority. And I pray that we in this room become a people who lean into our high priest. Are you coming to him? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. Come to me. Lean in on me. Pray to me. Come to me. Read the word. Find the truth. Let the word of God bathe over you. Find the truth. Come to me. I'm praying that I'm, I'm preaching this to myself, y'all. Because I look at my life and I don't see joy the way I should. I don't see peace a lot of the times the way I should. It's not because God didn't give me peace or God didn't give me joy. It's because I'm not leaning as hard as I could and should. I'm probably like many of y'all where there's probably more, more time on Instagram and social media and on the news and on secular TV and than actually in the Word. Like once again, double it. And some of us, if we're doubling it, that'd be a, a day and a half, right? Like 12 hours or four, 12 hours on Instagram, and then 40 or 24 hours, that's math, 24 hours with Jesus. I think it's time for us to cut back on this world. If we're in this world, let's get it out of it, our hearts and our minds and let us renew our minds and let us be bathing in the word of God and let it sanctify us. Thy word is truth. So we can experience the victory of the cross that our high priest has won.